have that regular cadence mm -hmm. of company meetings and they can be short and to the point and they need to be very real and very authentic. Right. And then having that top level senior person reporting to you directly as part of your executive team, mm -hmm. whose job it is, is to make sure that we're creating an awesome employee experience. Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a Bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. This is your host, Jordan Peace. And today we are privileged to be joined by Clint Oram. Clint is with Sugar CRM. He is the co-founder, chief strategy officer, and as we'll discuss in a minute, a non-serial entrepreneur. Sugar CRM was founded in 2004. It is how marketing, sales, and service teams finally get a clear picture of each customer's journey without getting all the headaches and hassles that come with traditional CRMs. We're going to talk about Sugar. We're going to talk about Clint. First, I want to talk about Clint, if we can. Tell me about this thing on your LinkedIn profile that says non-serial entrepreneur. It, it jumped <laughs> right off the page. I'd love to hear that story. There you go. Well, thanks, Jordan. Appreciate being here today and love the opportunity to share a little bit of my own personal story, and but more importantly, what we're doing at Sugar Serum. A lot of cool, fun stuff there. So on that personal journey level. When I started Sugar back in 2004, I thought, and I live here in Silicon Valley, by the way, I thought I was kicking off the Silicon Valley dream and that I would just be startup after startup after startup. And I was going right. to measure success by the number of startups that I got going. And then I found that I true love. I fell in love with mm. my first company. I love what I'm doing. I love what we're doing as a company. I love my customers, my partners, my team, my employees, everything about it. And suddenly I find myself almost 20 years later, so 19 years practically to the day since we started Sugar CRM, still doing what I love most. And now I guess I'm a non-serial entrepreneur. <laughs> That's great. I love that, you know, and I'm newer in the business. I'm about three years into my own first startup mm -hmm. and starting to get a similar feeling. I love this job. I love these people. I love this concept. Why do I ever want to do anything else? And I, and I yeah. never thought I'd feel that way. Uh, it was really surprising to me. But that's so cool. I love it. Yeah. It's lucky to, I consider myself incredibly lucky to love what I do so much that I can't imagine doing anything else. That's perfect. I love it. So being such a unique, especially in Silicon Valley, it's such mm -hmm. a unique story, right? And that yeah. being really a, carrying a lot of depth for you, a lot of meaning for you and that love. How does that kind of infiltrate in a good way, find its way into the values of the company, into the culture yeah. of the company? Like, how does that speak into everyone else's experience at Sugar CRM? Well, you know, I certainly think it's the case that culture starts at the top. 
right? And if you're if you've got a culture within the company that people admire, that's brag worthy, yeah. right? If you will. Oh, I will. <laughs> then it's something that starts at the top. And and again, if I'm going to throw out a series of trite sayings, mm-hmm. culture eats strategy for mm-hmm. lunch every day. So when set out to start Sugar CM, we wanted to start our own company. We wanted to be in charge, in control, all of the standard motivations for a first-time entrepreneur. And then you end up realizing that probably one of the best things about having a company is that you're able to employ people and give them a livelihood and put food on the table for families. I tell you, that was such a momentous understanding for me to know that my decisions were directly affecting people's careers, directly affecting their ability to, like I said, put food on the table. And that was a little overwhelming at first, but then I really grew to appreciate it and value it. And along the way, we're making our customers' lives better and you know, making everybody's lives better every step of the way. But in there, that culture of an attitude of gratitude is something that I've always embraced. It's been part of my family. It's been part of my upbringing. It's a part of a sense of taking on that responsibility of creating a company and creating a mission and creating a whole environment environment around it. And that's who I am. And I didn't necessarily really realize that when I first got started, but I've certainly come to know that and appreciate it about myself over these past 20 years. That's awesome. I, Clint, I'm still in that beginning stage where the weight of that responsibility to put food on the table, you know, to employ people. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> it still feels very heavy to me. You know, I haven't had the yeah. almost two decades of experience, but although it is a bit overwhelming and weighty, it feels like a privilege too. It feels like, oh my gosh, I get to do this at the same time. And I am grateful for it. I love the sugar code for growth. So I wanted to read this kind of straight off the website and you have you sort of expound and respond, but this is around the culture at sugar. It says at sugar, we abide by the sugar code for growth, part manifesto, part who we are and part who we want to be, which I love is aspirational. Mm -hmm. We are driven by a shared passion for culture and a desire to build a deep-rooted organization and brand built to fuel growth. And this is cute. Sweeter outcomes away when we enable our business and our customers to grow. So how long ago was that written, this concept of the, the sugar code? And it's just so on brand. It speaks to the depth. and Yeah, you know, I think those particular words are relatively yeah, newer yeah. in the last couple of years, but the sentiment has been there from the beginning. And one of the things that we've always strived to achieve is being very candid, very real, speaking with sincerity as opposed to just a string of marketing buzzwords that are SEO optimized <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. We like to talk about who we are for our customers. You know, in the grand scheme of things, there's only a few different ways that any company can differentiate itself in the marketplace. One, of course, is on product quality. Two is on pricing. And three is on customer satisfaction. And we've always focused on certainly product quality and customer satisfaction. But we operate in the CRM industry, the customer relationship management industry. And so we've always felt like we need to walk the talk more than just talk the talk, right? Of course, we deliver fantastic applications that change the way that companies engage with their customers. But we want to show our clients 
the right way to build a customer relationship and differentiate based upon that quality of mm. customer service. So we've always striven to do that from the very beginning is to set ourselves apart based upon mm. who we are, not just what we do. And we put those words into everything about the company on our website, as you saw in our careers page, our about us page. And we really work hard to be very real, very candid about working together right. as a team. We feel that teamwork is frankly how you make wonderful yeah. things happen. You got to stay focused on results, right? You got to really be focused on delivering those positive results. It's too easy to get mired down in negativity. And frankly, I just don't see the place for that. We also have an attitude of just get it done, mm -hmm. just fix it. Mm -hmm. And we actually spend a lot of time about these particular words because what we talk about inside of Sugar CRM is hashtag GSD and hashtag LFG. And our marketing team said, I'm not sure we can put GSD and LFG on the website. Get shit done and right. let's effing go. <laughs> that got turned into just there fix it, right? We believe simplicity is a competitive advantage. I still sign almost every one of my emails with hashtag GSD or LFG. <laughs> and that's just... Go, go, go. Right. Let's go make it happen. Let's go right. get it done. And behind that is this idea of embracing mm. change because I know for a lot of us, I'm the kind of personality that loves change. So if you go back to the Myers-Briggs, I'm the entrepreneur personality type, and that means I, I thrive totally. on change. But I've got people around me who don't necessarily thrive on change. They like to bring consistency and predictability to the business, and you need those folks in the business as well. Right. Thank goodness for those people. Thank God for those folks. Exactly. <laughs> but, but everybody needs to recognize that growth, you know, change is growth and growth is good. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you have to embrace that change. And then lastly, we really believe strongly in a yes, if attitude. Hmm. So if a customer is asking us, can we do something and maybe it doesn't fit into a specific policy or practice, right. you know, the answer is not no. The answer is, well, yes, if we could make this happen. Right. And so we like to embrace that with our customers, our partners, our employees of a positive attitude of how we can make something good happen, but also recognizing that sometimes circumstances need to change in order to make that reality. And so those are our core culture, our core principles, our core values, yeah. and it's very much part of the culture. And, and I hope what you recognize in there is we really worked hard to not turn it into a bunch of marketing fluffy speech yes. to be very candid, very real. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I, there's great integrity in this idea of we're in a business that's about people and we're not just going to talk about that and be all lovey-dovey in our speech and our marketing, but we're actually going to care about one another and build a, a pure and a lively culture within our organization. I love that, you know, because into your point about seeing within what you just said and seeing the depth of that, you can't fake culture. You just can't do it, right? Like, especially this idea of employer brand that's been more of a hot phrase, you know, these last couple of years, right? This idea that we have a consumer brand and this is what we export to our consumer, whether they're a current customer or a prospective customer. And it's, it's a marketing play, right? But then there's your employer brand. It's who am I as an employer? And you can't fake it at all, right? It's completely what your employees say about you, what your former employees say about you, the reviews on Glassdoor, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm curious, given what you just shared and for what sounds to me is just a very genuine group of people and, and being very genuine with one another, what do you think your employer brand is? You know, how would you describe someone they come across Sugar CRM, they come across a job posting, they look you on, up on LinkedIn? 
What are they going to pick up on right away, do you think? Have you gotten mm-hmm. feedback on that from uh, candidates? Yeah, you know, we consistently get the feedback that almost to our own detriment, we're focused on customer success. And what I mean by detriment is, you know, there reaches a point where you can make decisions or you can do actions that are not sustainable, that, you know, you're bending over backwards at the expense of the business and that sort of thing. And we've had to course correct a few times along those ways because it's been a case where we're just very customer focused. We really work hard to make our customers successful. We work really hard to make their CRM dreams and aspirations turn into reality. And there's times when we have to dial back our folks from going 150% and almost going too far in terms of overextending themselves. And so I like to think, I've certainly gotten the feedback, Mm. we work hard, we push hard at Sugar Serum. One of our biggest challenges is burnout. Absolutely the case, because people really... I think, pick up on the passion and pick on the drive to make success happen for our customers. And so one of the things I think about a lot is giving space to my people to take a down day. I'm notorious for sending emails out on the weekend. That's where I do a lot of my thinking about the business. And I've actually had to dial that back. And I use that wonderful feature on Outlook to schedule when the email goes. So I'd rather send that email out late Sunday night so that it's in everybody's Mm -hmm. inbox on Monday morning, as opposed to starting an email thread on Saturday morning and then having everybody Mm -hmm. feel like they need to participate and take away time from the family. And that's not what I want, right? I want them to spend time with the family. I want them to spend time recharging. And so we've probably spent the most amount of time in the last several years putting some healthy boundaries around ourselves and healthy boundaries around how we work with not just ourselves, but also our customers and our partners. And I think that's an important thing to do because we're a company that pours it all in almost a bit too much at times, right? But it's who we are. Well, it makes sense. I mean, you've said already that you fell in love with this business, right? So you're obviously extremely passionate. You're extremely passionate about your customers and serving them, right? Yep. And so, and culture starts at the top and trickles down. So if you're passionate and you're LFG and you're right, then obviously your people that you recruit and those that take the job are going to follow suit. So, I mean, just great self-awareness on your part to realize like, oh, I need to make sure that they don't see this email on Saturday or whatever the case may be, because you're not, I'm sure we're never intending to take their weekends from them, but it's just, they they just are going to follow because you're the CEO or the... Well, you know, even there's sometimes that culture that comes in of celebrating how much you work during your vacation. And I'm not good with that. I don't think that's the right message to send to people. When when they take their time <laughs> off, I want them to take their time off. I want them to, you know, I can't control what you think. Yeah. If you're thinking about the business, I hear you. But I actually tease people. In fact, I was just teasing one of the people that report to me directly a couple of days ago. He took last week off and then he attended like three meetings. Right. And I said, that's not really taking time off. And he said, well, you know, I enjoyed it because I got to mm-hmm. choose what I was doing. I'm like, yeah, I hear you. But at the same time, right. think about the message you're sending to all the colleagues. And I'm not going to give you extra brownie points for working half of your vacation. I give you vacation for a reason. Please take it. 
please go recharge. Please go take the time to connect with your family. Because certainly one thing I've learned over these past 20 years, raising my kids with sugar. Sugar is my third kid, right? And when I started the business, my son was 18 months old. My daughter was not yet born. And here I am 19 years later, and I've got a son and a daughter who've spent their entire life watching dad build his business. And they've learned a lot from just watching how I operate. And I try and convey the idea of in this time when it is hard to find work-life balance, when you're working at home or you're living at work, I'm not really certain what it is. You have to put those boundaries in place so that you can recharge so that when you do come into the office or the virtual office and you do pour it all in, you're charged, you're on point, you're ready to go, you're ready to give it at all. So those are just some of my own personal personal views. And, and I try and, and build that into the culture of the company as well. I love it. I, I'm going to have to catch you separately so I can get some dad advice from you because I feel like I'm you, you know, like 16 <laughs> years ago. I've got four kids. and Hey, the number one piece of advice. I, I got this piece of advice from a coworker 23 years ago. Get on the floor with the kids. It's just a very simple thing, but just be on the floor with the kids and you can't think about work (laughs) when you're on the floor and you're building a project or you're playing with them. But just, you know, spend time on the floor with the kids and it carries you through. Uh, I love that. Yeah, I can talk about that for the rest of our time easily. I've got four kids and a fifth on the way, so I'm surrounded. Oh, wow. That's why I'm recording in a closet right now. (laughs) You left man-to-man defense and went to zone a while ago. A while ago. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting a little desperate at this point. I love talking to, I love getting a chance to talk to founders because you were there in the beginning, which means you remember what it was like before you had all these people to do all of these jobs. Like back in the day, yeah. it, was, it was just a handful of people doing 200 jobs and you just kind of figured it out, right? You're only qualified to do maybe two of them, but you did 15 apiece. Or screwed it up enough to realize that you need to go hire somebody to figure it out. Yeah, there, there's a couple of those. Right. So, the, I remember the day I got fired as CFO of the company. <laughs> so I started off running all of the back office operations. I stood up yeah. all of our finance and employee benefits and payroll and all that. I, I was the one who got it all started. My two co-founders were happy to say, yeah, you go ahead and take care of that one. Yeah, yeah. go ahead, buddy. And then... Uh, <laughs> We're about three months, four months into the business, and I was busy doing an implementation for a customer one Friday afternoon. I was just deep into solving the problems for them, and I forgot to run payroll. Why is it that you actually have to click a button? Can't you just schedule it and then have it go? You have to actually physically click a button every Friday, and I forgot. And you want to know who fired me? was our wives, right? There's three of us guys who started the company and there was, you know, three wives behind us supporting us while we got the company launched. And there was an intervention and the intervention equated to us hiring an accounting firm and me going and focusing on the thing I do best, which is software and code and and all that other kind of stuff. So yeah, I got fired that day. And I remember it quite distinctly and thinking, yeah, you know, it's probably right. It's about time to hire somebody that really knows how to do this well. Right. I doubt you put up too much of a fight about it either. No, that one was an easy one to give (laughs) up. Happy to get fired (laughs) off of this one. So I'm curious, as you made that transition, right, you went from that founder only team and really began to expand. Maybe you had that first wave of hires. What was it like to transition and to kind of go from a place of maybe your culture was a little bit less written down, a little bit less defined, a little bit less mission, vision, values, formal document to like, right. 
these folks need to know what they're walking into. I need to like kind of take what's here and put it down. I know it's been a few years, but do you remember what that was like? Was it difficult for you to sort of put these things into words and to export this to people that were coming in? Well, if there's one thing that anybody who's ever known me will quickly agree with, I'm not one to be at a loss for words. I'm a chatty kind of guy. I'll tell you exactly what I'm thinking. Probably if there's one thing I learned over the last 20 years is a bit more filter between the brain and the mouth. And so we really embrace the idea of daily standups right out of the gates, weekly team meetings, company meetings. I remember, you know, every Friday afternoon, us all getting together in the common room of our first office and people cracking open the beers and chips and salsa. And then we just talk about the week and we talk about what went well, what didn't go well. We talk about what we wanted to, to accomplish the next week. We do the daily standups and the small teams and we get together. So we really kind of building that culture of communication, I think is critically important. And now for a founder, it's not hard to talk a lot. Generally speaking, founders are like you and me. Like we've got opinions, we've got vision, we've got ideas. And if anything, the team around us is saying, how do you turn this guy off? Is there an off switch somewhere in here? Right. And I found the bigger challenge to be when we started hiring a management layer and how to convey that just in time discussion and culture and et cetera, and turn it into something a bit more structured that could be passed on in a more predictable way. Mm-hmm. And then certainly the big challenge for us came up when, when we started having overseas offices. Boy, if you think it's hard to keep one team focused and they all sit next to each other, wow. then you got that second office somewhere else in the country. And then you've got that third office overseas. Boy, those poor folks feel like they're disconnected. And so, so that's where I come back to the idea of over-communicate. And it's a really simple formula. As soon as you think you've done enough to communicate an idea, you do more, <laughs> right? And this is the part that everybody kind of laughs at, like, oh, yeah, you do more. Like, you know, literally, you have to do more, right? As soon as you think you've done enough, you communicate more. And so those weekly emails out to the company, the engagement in Slack with your colleagues, you just got to be present. You got to be engaged. Mm-hmm. Kind of coming back to my comment about how do you make it work with your kids? You get on the floor. Mm-hmm and you interact with them on their level, well, you need that inside the company. And then as you start scaling up, you got to put some real energy into writing these ideas down. And I think that was probably our single biggest challenge was to go from the free form waxing philosophically in front of a group of people and keeping them excited and motivated and directed to being able to write that down in a coherent way that accomplished the same goals and then being able to distribute that across. So that was tough. And I think that for us, it was kind of at that probably around right now that 75 employee mark where we started realizing, oh, we need to put energy into this. We actually need to focus on building a team as opposed to letting team just happen as it had been. Yeah, I'd imagine the bigger you get, the more and more intentionality you need in a lot of areas. But I'd imagine the culture side is certainly one of those. I'm curious, how big is the company now? You mentioned three offices, one overseas. 550. We're spread all over the world. So we've got five offices in the United States. We've got a sales and marketing office in just outside of London and also in Munich. We've got a development office in Craiova, Romania. Mm. We had a development office in Minsk, Belarus. Mm. 
And we had a series of people in Ukraine who were working out of the Minsk office as well. And so this horrible war, and I'll just say it directly for what it is, this horrible war of aggression really impacted us, Mm. really impacted us in a big way. We had employees fleeing Ukraine. We had employees fleeing Belarus. I've got customers in Russia. I don't know how much longer I've got customers in Russia, some big organizations, and just kind of operating at a global scale and being intimately woven into these factors that are happening. You know, so easy for the average American to just think of, oh, that's happening over there. But no, these are our people. And it's pretty amazing. So 550 people. We've got more offices than I could go through and list them all off. But we've got offices in Australia as well. And we've got developers working for us out of India. And so we're very much a global company and started off as a global company. Our software is translated into 26 different languages. That's pretty impressive by itself. That is impressive. I ask one more just for listeners that are kind of beyond my stage and getting into more where you guys are at, where you're expanding offices and you're disconnected geographically and all of this. How do you go about, for 75 people, I totally see how you do it. At 550 spread across the globe, How do you make sure that everyone feels seen and heard and appreciated? How does the C-suite not come off like, oh, we're just kind of counting the money. (laughs) Let us know if you have any problems. Like, How do you really make yourself kind of available and speak to each one individual, at least speak to their heart? You know, maybe not directly one-on-one all the time, but how do you speak that language of, in 26 languages, of I see you, I hear you, I appreciate you? So again, you got to weave it into the culture. And here are some key things that we do. I think probably one of the most obvious in retrospect, but one of the most transformative things that we did is at the executive team level, we have a chief HR officer. We have a CHRO on the executive team reporting to the CEO. In the past, when we first got started, the HR function reported into the CFO. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fair to say that the mindset of a CFO is not necessarily the mindset of a CHRO, right? (laughs) They're two different personalities. And, And so I think it was really probably one of the most dramatic organizational changes that we could do that really emphas- not only emphasized the value of our people, but, but really made the concerns of our people a top-level, continuous executive dialogue totally. that wasn't kind of shuffled into the background. So that was very important. And I would highly recommend that from a, an org structure perspective. And then, of course, our HR team is sending out the biweekly newsletters, celebrating the new employees, celebrating the promotions. We've got a whole program in place that we call Sweet Rewards. I remember I got that idea by going to one of our customers. One of our customers is a company called Otterbox. They do the iPhone cases, the really durable iPhone and iPad cases, a company called Otterbox. We've been, they've been a customer of ours for over a decade. And I remember sitting in their offices and I was watching, I was looking at the table where they had these cards where you could fill out a thank you card for one of your colleagues right there in every office right on the table. And I took that idea back to the company and evolved and grew over time and became our sweet 
complete rewards program. So we're constantly acknowledging one another and it's very much built into our culture to take a moment and write down those words of appreciation. Mm. Let's see, what else do we do? We do a company-wide meeting every two weeks. So Craig, who's our CEO now, he hosts a town hall for a half hour every two weeks. And that's just incredibly important. And Jordan, I got to tell you, even now, if you're not doing that, I would recommend you do that because it it helps you organize your thoughts as the leader of the company about how do I describe where the business is right now? Mm -hmm. And how do I call out the people who who are making the big things happen? And how do I call out the new customers? And how do I appreciate everything that's going on? But it also just kind of helps you organize your thoughts. And so we do that. That's something that we started during COVID. And now we couldn't imagine running the business without having that biweekly town hall. And of course, we have all the Slack channels. So we've got the manager's channel. We've got the the regional channels. Each office has their own channel. And so you've got these different communication tools. But the one that I really come back to that I think is probably most important is to have that regular cadence Mm -hmm. of company meetings. And they can be short and to the point and they need to be very real and very authentic. And then having that top level senior person reporting to you directly as part of your executive team, Mm -hmm. whose job it is, is to make sure that we're creating an awesome employee experience. And to me, I think those are probably the two most important lessons learned over the years. Oh, man, I love it. That's super helpful. And what I've been doing lately, we have a meeting Friday afternoon called What's Going On? And uh, literally, I you know, it's just me for about half an hour. And it's just, here's what's going on, you know, both for yeah. information, but also to celebrate and also to welcome new folk. And it's, I think, sometimes... And it builds, that transparency builds trust. Totally, right? It builds trust. And when you're you're authentic and you're you're humble, and there's a tendency for people to look at an executive and think they're like the Wizard of Oz, you know, (laughs) just like there's somebody behind a curtain. It's like, it's just a person. We're still figuring it out ourselves too. Exactly, right? Exactly. (laughs) I've, I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm still figuring out something new every day. Yeah, I know. It's like, I don't know how comfortable you guys are with how much guesswork I'm employing here, but I'm going to let you know about it anyway. (laughs) Be transparent, right? Well, hey, lastly, before I let you go, I'd love to hear and I'd love for our listeners to hear about your podcast and the name of that and kind of your mission around that. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for asking. So this has been a dream of mine for a while. A little bit of background. So way back when young Clint was just a a young whippersnapper, (laughs) I learned to hate public speaking. Mm. My very, very first public presentation in front of the class in sixth grade, I passed out cold from nervousness. Literally just locked my knees, fell over backwards, cracked my head. So nervous that I had a quite an auspicious introduction to the world of public speaking. Fast forward several years, I'm still very nervous when it comes to public speaking. But in my high school, we had a radio station. We had a thousand watt high school radio station covering Sacramento County in Sacramento, California. And I became an on-air personality and I learned to hide behind the microphone. (laughs) I got much more comfortable public speaking in that type of environment. Fast forward... 35 years later, and now we have the world of podcasts and we have cameras and we have microphones and I get to take all that energy that I created back in high school around being an on-air personality and I now get to do this. And so I'm looking forward to launching my own podcast and it's going to be called Fuel Growth. 
And it's all about helping companies, no matter what stage you're at, how do you figure out the equation to unlock the next stage of growth? Now, if you're a 50-person company, that's uh, one set of ideas in there. If you're a 500-person company, it's probably a different playbook, mm. right? You've got different things, that, different equation that you're trying to balance along the way. So how do you unlock that growth equation? That's what fuel growth is all about. Talking to CEOs, CROs, chief revenue officers, chief marketing officers, chief customer officers, and interviewing them about what they've done to fuel the next or this last wave of growth that they're enjoying right now in the company. I love it. Well, thank, thanks for sharing. I look forward to listening to it. And I've already agreed. And hopefully I won't pass out. Yes. Right. That's yeah. that's my goal is to <laughs> not pass out in front of the audience. Hey, well, yeah, yeah, I already agreed to be a guest. So if you pass out, I will just keep talking until someone revives you. Just keep rolling with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll interview myself. Oh, man. Clint, this has been a, a ton of fun. I really am appreciative that you would jump on the podcast today. Thank you, Jordan. I appreciate it. I had a good time. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.